The University of Connecticut is a pioneering body of research and innovation. This podcast brings you the stories, the motivations, the passions possessed by the people behind this success. Welcome to UConn in Vivo. Today's guest is Professor Bart Rockaburton Jr., director of UConn's Puppet Arts Program. Our conversation talks about what puppetry is, its benefit to society, and how Bart has taken our program to become an elite, nationally recognized institution. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. One thing, when we met last week, you said, which I found very interesting and it's stuck with me since, is that puppetry exists at the crossroads of many forms of art and media. And I was wondering if you could explain what that really means. Sure. I modestly believe that puppetry is at the crossroads of virtually every creative human endeavor. Within puppetry, the arts are all there, from dance to music to sculpture, painting. But we're also working in chemistry, biology, physics. We are dealing with literature. So within the puppet arts, I have to pay attention to the students because they're all different. They all Mm -hmm. have specialties. And in so doing, we graduate people who go into different areas of the art form. We have writers, we have people who turn who went into, into producing after studying puppetry. And it was on the show Between the Lions, mm-hmm. had a gentleman in our graduate program and trying to find his passion, he finally said to me, I love to help people get their work done. I said, well, Jared, that, that's management. Let's get you out of here and get some work. So we, I got him hooked up with Michael Frith, who was the producer of Between the Lions. And very quickly, Jared moved from being an assistant to an assistant producer. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to Michael, I said, well, how, how did Jared climb so quickly? He said, because he understands what it is to be the puppeteer under the table with his arm in the air. He protects the puppeteers. They love him. We gave him a top management position. Wow. That goes to show how great the UConn program and training is here, that you get this well-rounded and large breadth of knowledge. Yes. Well, in his time here, we put him under the table with his arm in here frequently. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. So let's talk about UConn's program. It is a unique program. It is. And what makes it unique? Well, we are the only program internationally that offers BFA, MA, and MFA degrees. There's only one other program in the United States that offers any degree, which is West Virginia. They Mm -hmm. offer a BFA. There are many colleges and universities now offering classes in puppetry because puppetry has become a recently rediscovered tool for the theater at large. And so there are courses being offered all across the country. Mm -hmm. Internationally, there are a number of schools in London, in Stuttgart, in Barcelona that offer training in puppetry. Our uniqueness is just in the fact that we have the three degrees that we offer. So what are the advantages and the differences between an MA and an MFA? Um, It comes down to credits, basically. I mean, one joke is it's the letter F. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our our MA degree is a 30 credit accumulation done over two years. Hmm. Uh, For the MFA, it's a 60 credit accumulation done a minimum of three years. Okay. And comparing, let's say, the BFA to the graduate program, what would behoove a bachelor in puppetry arts to then matriculate into graduate school? That's a frequent question. We have some very talented individuals in the undergraduate program, 
And if they want to go on for the graduate degree, we look at it and say, you know, well, you've already taken these classes. What else can we offer you? Or would it be better to go someplace else and get some skills mm -hmm. in stop motion animation? Or, you know, what is your interest? We sent one graduate at the, from the undergraduate level out to UCLA into the screenwriting MFA program. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so what actually defines puppetry? When I went to the puppetry slam, one of the first acts was a young woman who was using eggs as props. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize that maybe I don't understand the definition of what is, what defines a puppet. Sure. Um, it's a constantly moving target. Let's mm -hmm. go there. I, I mean, the traditional description of a puppet is that it's an inanimate object made animate through direct human control for an audience. Mm. So it's something that has no apparent life to which you give apparent life by moving it. And the really important element in this is the audience. You know, if I'm just moving an object around in a room by myself, that's doll play. And I have no interest in doll play. I want to stimulate an audience's imagination. So by taking an egg and giving it character and placing it into a story, it's a puppet. It's a performance object. So then the prop is something that's not used in that animate manner, right? So it's just, you're not directly engaging with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A few years ago, uh, puppeteers working in the film and television industry put together a video to help producers understand the difference between a prop and a puppet. And they just did a shot of a crumpled up piece of paper being mm -hmm. blown down the street. Then they took that same crumpled piece of paper and directed it to one location, caused it to interact with something else and on to something else. There they had the difference between a prop and a puppet. Mm. All right. Uh, we have some challenges on Broadway where in recent times, the technicians demanded the right to operate donkey's ears in Shrek because they saw it was a remote control thing that the puppeteer was working off stage in. And it was actually a court situation where they had really? to prove that the person operating the ears who knew how to do it could cause emotion and character and tell part of the story to the audience. It's just not wiggling the ears. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so I know you've been contracted by Broadway and, and the Yukon program has as well. I don't know if you can talk about certain things that we've contributed to certain larger projects bigger well, than just UConn. Sure. Um, I have worked on some off-Broadway productions and Broadway productions. The ones that people will know are Lion King. Mm -hmm. Alumni helped build that and do the shadow puppetry wow. that's seen, seen in the show. Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, again, alumni helped build the show. Avenue Q on Broadway. A gentleman named Rick Lyon designed and fabricated the puppets. He's actually a former student of mine when I worked at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center down in Waterford. But he also then hired some alumni who were with the production for the five years it was on Broadway. Wow. And I know you mentioned that some of these alumni actually come back and you work with them hand in hand to improve the program itself. And I found it really respectable that you were willing to change your teaching methods and grow what you were communicating to your students based on the success of past students. And where did you get that teaching philosophy? <laughs> I guess I'm a perennial student. Yeah. <laughs> I love learning. And in this field, there's always new information coming at us. The materials and techniques that have happened in the past five years are stunning. Right. The digital age, we're, we're using digital media and devices to do puppetry now. So there's a constant turnover, mm -hmm. and our alumni are out there doing it on the front line. Right. So yeah, when they come back, I listen. 
<laughs> you got to keep up with the newest technology. I don't know that I can keep up. <laughs> I'm interested, though. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I want the current students to know what the possibilities are sure. out there. How far back does puppetry go, or using puppets in an art form go, you know, compared to other arts? Well, let's just go with how far back does puppetry go. And here you have to accept the fact I'm a puppeteer. I have a great imagination. Mm-hmm. So everything I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot prove. Okay, okay. sure. <laughs> but in my imagination, I'm going back to the time of the formation of tribes, the formation of civilization, if you will. People gathered together to assist each other. There was the gathering group, there was the hunting group, there was the caregiving group, the water group. And I can just imagine in my own mind that the hunting group comes back with a big kill and we're finally eating. And after we eat, it's natural to pick up the head of the beast and reenact the battle. Mm -hmm. Well, there is puppetry, all right? Fire casts shadows. Who among us hasn't seen our shadows on a cliff or a wall, uh, trees, and started dancing with it? There again is puppetry. So I really believe that puppets were used in the very beginning. Puppets and masks were used by the shamans of the tribes to help create the mores. So I believe that puppets were our first gods and our first demons. Do you think that's evolved? I know Jeff and I were talking before this about the current state of puppetry versus past states and whether or not... The idea of what a puppet is or what puppetry is communicating, if that's been held constant throughout this whole time. I don't know if you have yeah, a follow-up and, to and that point. Specifically for the program here at UConn, how you believe that the perception here at UConn of the puppetry program has changed throughout the years, or has it changed? It has changed. We're in a much better place we are now than in 1965 when Frank Ballard founded the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he first started it, he was a professor in dramatic arts, as I am. And the grad school was looking for new topics. So Frank put together a proposal for puppetry. He had been a puppeteer since the age of five. He put together the proposal for puppetry based on something that had just happened at UCLA. Mel Helstein out of UCLA created a puppet MFA. And then there's also a school in Prague, Damu, that has been teaching puppetry, training in puppetry since after World War II. Frank put in the proposal and it was accepted, but anytime there was a budget cut, puppetry was the first thing on the cutting board. Mm -hmm. But then they would look at it and say, well, you know, we're getting all this international press and we're not spending a penny on it anyway. Well, let them keep going. This held true through the late 80s. Frank had Parkinson's and we knew that he had to retire. And when he did retire, they closed the program. There were protests here at the university, at the state capitol, and letters started pouring in from all over the world to the dean of fine arts, to the president of the university, and to the governor, basically saying, you don't understand what you have. You can't do this. Thankfully, the dean of the School of Fine Arts said, well, let's try again. And so they did a search, and I was brought in. At the end of my first year, I got a letter from the provost saying, why should I protect you to the state legislature? We have budget cuts ahead of us. So I pulled our alumni and wrote to the provost and said, well, let's just say that at this time in 1991, Mm -hmm. there are two generations of children in this country who have learned how to read because of our alumni working with Sesame Street and with Barbara Bush's reading literacy program. Additionally, they're working for companies, they are entertaining us, they're on TV, they're in movies. And the provost wrote back and said, you know, I'll defend you. We get more bang for the buck out of your program than any other. Um, Since then, 
We had a wonderful gentleman come in, David Woods, as the Dean of School of Fine Arts. He came into our space. We used to be in the basement of Sprague Dormitory. You know, low ceilings, four casement windows, basically. <laughs> and he walked into our space, and his first day in office, he said, well, you're moving. <laughs> and two years later, we're out on the depot campus in a $1.5 million renovation. It's a wow. beautiful facility. And I, I still pinch myself 20 years later yeah. when I walk into the space saying, it's real, and it's above ground. I couldn't imagine how big it Like, when we first met outside, it, you know, it, it looked like a decent-sized space, but then once you mm -hmm. get in there, it doesn't end. And it's big and large, open rooms. You have so many windows that you have to cover <laughs> some of them up. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the first semester we were out there, every class project dealt with the sun. Right. So Frank Ballard, you said, had been a puppeteer since the age of five. Mm -hmm. So you can be a puppeteer without official training then. Oh, right? yes. And so, like, you can be an artist without official mm -hmm. training. How many puppeteers go through schooling? And um, what is the benefit to... Well, we, we, we are unique. J just to continue with what you're, yeah. th you're thinking about there, we are one path. The traditional way is to do it yourself mm -hmm. or to apprentice. And that is still absolutely legitimate. I say to our students, when you're out working on a set, don't stick your nose up in the air that you're a UConn alum. Yeah. Because the guy working next to you who did it himself might be a better puppeteer. Right. So, you know, you just, you condense time. Right. You know, you did in four years what it took them ten years to do. Sure. So, how many students, though, right? Because I know the UConn program is relatively small. You have about yes. 20... Uh, 24 is our limit 24. any given year. Yeah, why is it a smaller program? Is it selective? Uh, we are selective. We go through an audition and portfolio situation. But it literally comes down to resources. Yeah. Until seven years ago, I was the only puppet arts professor in dramatic arts. I convinced the other dramatic arts professors that they also were teaching puppeteers, and so they needed to understand puppetry as well. But since then, we have had John Bell come in, who is the director of the Ballard Institute Museum of Puppetry downtown. And this year, we were gifted with Matthew Cohen. So there are now three of us as professors. And then we have Paul Spirito, also, who is an alumni and also our technical supervisor. And Paul is actually the director of our online certificate program mm -hmm. in grad level. So an online program, I was actually thinking about that earlier. It seems a little counterintuitive to physically using a puppet. Mm -hmm. So is this sort of like you have to record yourself doing a certain exercise, send it in, and somebody will evaluate that? Yeah, when they first approached us, we went, are you kidding? <laughs> but then we thought about it, and we said, you know, maybe this is possible. So yes, recording is very much part of it. Prepared lectures, uh, visual lectures are part of it. We have four courses that we offer right now. One in shadow theater, which deals with history as well as uh, different cultures, China, Indonesia, Greece, Turkey, France. Mm -hmm. And then we have a hand puppet course that's being taught by one of our alum, and he's literally training not only how to make a hand puppet, but also how to animate it. We are doing materials techniques online where students are designing, sculpting, and casting in different materials. So it's working. We're in our eighth or ninth year with yeah. it. And the final course is World Puppet Theater, a history class that John Bell has designed and a woman from Canada, Annie Rollins, teaches. As a matter of fact, as a little commercial, Annie <laughs> Rollins is on campus now. She is setting up an exhibit at the Ballard that will open this coming Thursday based on Chinese shadow theater. So do new courses develop as puppetry evolves and there are new techniques that become available? Like, does there have to be a subject matter expert who, let's say, is an alum to come in and teach a course or to make a curriculum so that then somebody else can continue to teach the course? Or 
It does change. As I come up on the on-site materials class, I look at all the new materials that are out there, and I think about, okay, how do I fold this into what they need to know? But I frequently come back to the fact that what they need to know to work with the new materials is one, how to sculpt, how to make a mold, and how to cast. So our basic is still working with oil-based clay, casting it in plaster, and then uh, they're making a mold in plaster and then casting it in neoprene. Mm. With that basic knowledge, you can then move on to silicone and polyurethanes mm -hmm. and, and other materials. So we make them aware of it. As I set up courses, I spent more time trying to figure out what I could leave out than what I should put in. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we will frequently in a class say, okay, here's a doorway. Behind this door is this unbelievable material or process. You need to come back and go through that door on your own. We have to keep moving. Yeah. With Matthew Cohen joining us recently, we are talking about a whole set of new courses from his skill base. He is first an international scholar of the Wayan Kulit, the Indonesian theater, uh, but he has also been teaching at Royal Holloway in London for a number of years, teaching a puppetry program there. So he comes in with lots of knowledge that just expands what John and I offer. And uh, as he proposes these things, I say, yeah, I'd like to take that class. <laughs> so the program's in good shape, it looks like. The, it the is. outlook is positive. We've had really good support since David Woods came in. Mm -hmm. The president of the university and our, our recent past president have been big supporters. So yes, we're That's we're exciting. Yeah, we're so quite stable. Do you think you'll grow in the number of students? We can't, unless they build us more rooms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many slots are going to open for next year? Uh, we usually say there's f usually four at the undergraduate level and oh, right. four at the grad level. Um, you work very intimately with these students yes. and see their progression over many years. Is it very rewarding to see your students go on and land these jobs on Broadway and other films and other you know bigger projects? That a simple answer is of course. Yeah, yeah of course it is. Right. <laughs> my, my goodness, you know. <laughs> you know what's the most rewarding part of your job? I think it's working with the students yeah. and seeing them achieve. This morning we had a grad meeting and we're talking about the productions that we're focused on right now. And we have lots of very interesting projects. One that was spoken about by Maggie Flanagan is the stop motion animation. Mm -hmm. She was so excited by what she was doing. I just sat there, you know, it's contagious, ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's so great because it's unique compared to other programs that you're, you know, hand in hand. Yeah, for many years. So you said that there was an audition process, and as well you have to look at a prospective student's portfolio. What do you look for in those two Creativity processes? is the bottom line. Being that we are one of two undergraduate programs in the country, at the graduate level, I don't expect people to come in as puppeteers. I mean, sometimes we see puppetry in the auditions. What I am looking for is how do you express yourself creatively? by writing, by sculpting, dance, we've had clowning, trombone playing. Show me how you express yourself. And mm -hmm. the same thing with the portfolio. I always say it's not a get-a-job portfolio. It's more like a scrapbook. I want to see how you express yourself. With that, I teach puppetry. If I find a creative individual, I can figure out what their specialties are, challenge them, and get them to expand and become a puppeteer. Yeah. You can teach them to channel their creativity mm -hmm. in other means, but you can't really teach someone to be creative. That's right. a fundamental personality trait. I always say that um, I don't believe that I can create an artist. Mm -hmm. I believe that art is like a flame inside somebody that is burning, and I have no ability to light that flame. Right. 
but I do have the ability to fan it. So, you know, that's my goal. And I have to say, we've graduated many artists, but that's not for me. That's mm-hmm. they're doing. In your life, when did you start to engage in, in with puppets <laughs> and, and become a puppeteer yourself? And when did you know that this was a career for you? <laughs> well, I delved into puppetry. Uh, I've always been an, uh, a person who had a lot of interest. Music was my primary interest going into college. But as time went on, I explored other interests that included history and sociology, archaeology, anthropology, mm-hmm. and chemistry for about a week. <laughs> and when I found the place where I could explore all those things, it was theater. Of course, I was doing this at a university that didn't have a theater major, so I had to transfer. And didn't realize that as I transferred, I had lost three credits in my major. Only as I was about to graduate my senior year, spring semester of my senior year, and so I turned to a gentleman, uh, Chris Stashev, who was teaching me television mm-hmm. broadcasting, who had mentioned puppets a few times, and said, you know, can I do something for you, an independent study? I need to graduate. And I was a good student. He understood what was going on. He said, yeah, make a couple hand puppets. Do a Punch and Judy show for me. Mm-hmm. I did my research, and it wasn't the type of challenge I was interested in. I can make hand puppets overnight. Sure. So I decided to make string puppets. And Punch and Judy... No, I I did a small play by Bertolt Brecht. And little did I know that this thing I thought I was escaping school with just sort of reached out and said, gotcha. Wow. So it was was graduating undergraduate school. It's very lucky that that happened. I I think so, although my mom keeps finding pictures of me with puppets. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you think you might have found it eventually. I mean, uh, (laughs) there's one of me at the age of three sitting at a Christmas tree with Mm -hmm. a train going around it with a Howdy Doody puppet in my hand. (laughs) But you'd always been an entertainer and liked the idea of theater and entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much. And communicating. That's really interesting. And where did you do your undergrad? Uh, I started at Drew University in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. ended up at Montclair State, now University. And then you did your master's here at UConn, correct? Yes, so at Under Frank. Under Frank. And that took a little while, right? Yes, well, I had been teaching at a a community college for a couple of years before coming back to school. And the department head here, John Herr, had seen a German puppeteer, Albrecht Roser, and wanted to bring Albrecht in as a guest artist. So he grabbed me and he said, you know, you've got a little bit of college experience, Mm -hmm. two years at a community college. Why don't I set you up as Albrecht's manager and we'll try and raise some money and get this guy over here. So we went to Frank and did the proposal and Frank said, yes, he'd love that to happen. And so I was here for five years for my graduate work and probably two and a half of those years was spent with Albrecht's residency. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. With all of the success and, and the growing of this program, you know, what projects are coming down the line for people to go check out? Well, we've got immediately this semester, Connecticut Repertory Theater, mm-hmm. CRT, the production wing of Dramatic Arts, will be presenting Shakespeare in Love, and we are currently building a dog that will be performed as a character within the play, performed on stage uh-huh. with, the, with the actors. And then as we come into the spring semester, the first project will be a production that is being created by our Iranian student that is dealing with issues of being a woman in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's blended it together with some Persian mythology to tell a fuller story. Sure. Esme Roselle, a senior student who has an idea grant, will be mounting a show that she calls My Dear Little Mother. She has letters that were written by her great, great uncle to his mother as he was a soldier in World War One. Wow. And they are, they're poignant, but 
unfortunately, he did not come home from the war. Wow. And so Esme has taken these letters. She's creating a production that will go up in April, and she will be composing music for it, as well as writing the script, as well as creating the puppets. So there's a lot. Are most of these held at the Ballard Institute? We believe, we're still waiting for a decision on this, but we believe that Esme's piece, My Dear Little Mother, will be done in the studio theater in the Drama Music Building. Mm, okay. Shakespeare in Love, yes, that's at Jorgensen. Uh, right. We also have another project, MFA project. Uh, Abby Bosley is working on Puppets Helping Pets, is what she's calling it. She is creating hand puppets and mascot-style puppets that will be working on creating videos and also on-site appearances with kennels to help people understand about rescue animals, mm -hmm. to help them understand how to approach an animal that is not familiar to you. How do you let a dog sniff your hand? Right. So she is creating that. Maggie, as I mentioned, is doing the stop-motion animation. And then our big event at the end of the year, the last show of Connecticut Repertory Theater's Little Shop of Horrors. And that is actually two MFA projects for us. And the challenge is I don't want to see the Broadway puppet. Mm -hmm. They've done some really? nice research. I think when you were over there last week, yeah, I showed was, you the tentacle. so cool. Well, he's now got three of them. Oh, yeah? It's it's, I, mean, it's I was just amazed at how much self-learning there is, right? Your student, he was engineering that whole tentacle, the mm -hmm. whip, in the specific motion and with these gears and the fibers that pull in specific directions, the pulleys that all coordinate into one you know, sophisticated movement. And it was just remarkable to me how much you kind of take for granted the function of these puppets and, mm -hmm. and how much control and dedication really goes into making them move the way you want them to yep. move. Well, you know, that, that's part of the search of puppetry. There's no puppetry store where you say, I need a tentacle move, <laughs> yeah. right? So we have to look for things. In my rod puppet class, the midterm exam is to find an object for under $10 that's either a toy or a kitchen utensil that has a moving part. To analyze it, to draw it, diagram it, and then to figure out some way that it can be used in puppetry. So we're finding objects like pen, you know, how does this little thing snap together? Yeah. We've used that in puppets. By doing this, we're constantly looking at the possibilities. We were talking about the little shop puppet, and he wants both the upper lip and the lower lip to move, and he said, I think I found something over the weekend. I said, yeah, and go down to the pet store and find one of those scoopers that you follow around your pet with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That has two jaws opening also. Yeah. Wow. It's so fascinating. I mean, it's just, it's got such a larger footprint and way more creativity than it presents at the surface. And like you're saying, it's in more places than you would first recognize. Yes. And it has more impact and has more, you know, broad implication than people appreciate. And it's great what you're doing and the success your students has and the support that UConn's given your program to, you know, really excel and push it forward. Because without that, then you're always questioning whether or not you know, next year you might not have the resources to right. bring in a new well, cohort. E even in the early days when we didn't have obvious support from the university, we still did great work. Yeah, We're always determined to move forward. So right. uh, give us an obstacle, we'll figure <laughs> out how to go You know, around it, under it, over it, or sometimes you go through it. Go through it. Well, it's great. Can you um, maybe provide a little bit of advice to any student looking to get involved in puppetry, might be interested in the program here, you know, what sort of means they should go about to you know either contact you or apply to the program or any sure. options available? Well, um, 
First, I should say that our courses are available to any student at the university. What we want to do is sit down and talk with you. Mm -hmm. If you have an interest in taking one of the classes, just to make sure you have the skill level necessary to enter that class. Yeah. Sometimes we might say, oh, you need to take this class before you can take that one. But we have had people from education, we've had engineers, chemical engineers with us, people from the art program, of course, uh, digital media is interested in what we do. So our courses are available to the people. The challenge is that we are over on the depot campus, yeah. and transportation has been a challenge, but we had a meeting just last week where it looks like it's going to ease up, and Great. people will be able to find us again. Great. So we do invite people to come out. If you are interested in auditioning for the program, can I give a phone number? Yeah, Here? definitely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you would want to call 860-486-4568. And that will get you to our admin office that one of my grad students oversees. Mm -hmm. And he'll set up an audition and answer any questions that you have. You can also write to us at puppetarts, one word, at uconn.edu. And we'll respond that way. And are all the projects that you've done kept online somewhere in, in an inventory on the Puppet Arts website? or Visually, no. We have them on DVD, or gotcha. at least you know, recently on DVD mm -hmm. in our library in the building. So you can see them there. If you do go to our website, we are part of drama.ucon.edu. Find the Puppet Arts major right. and definitely take a look at some of our alumni testimonials on that site. All right. Well, thank you so much. We look forward to you know seeing these projects and, and going to these shows in the future this semester. Terrific. Next semester. We love audiences. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Check out all of our material on iTunes or Spotify. You can check out our social media at InVivoPod for both Twitter and Instagram. And email us with any comments or suggestions at invivo.podcast at gmail.com. I'm your host, Kyle Drake. You can find me on social media at underscore Kyle Drake. The people who make this possible are co-host Victor Kaye. You can find him as well at underscore Victor Kaye. Our editor is the awesome Kevin Ryan. He can be found at The Golden Whammy Bar. And our illustrator is Sarah Demers at underscore, 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 try Sarah top, underscore, underscore. We'd like to thank our funding from the Office of the Vice President for Research and the Office of the Provost. Thank you very much.